Hello friends, how's it going? My name is Matt Barr, you're listening to Looking Sideways, a podcast about surfing, skateboarding, snowboarding and other related endeavours. If it's your first time listening to the show, welcome, hope you enjoy it. If you're a regular, make sure you stay tuned for Housekeeping Corner because I've got some exciting book related news, yet we've almost finished the thing. Finally, I've got some details on where you're going to be able to buy it and all that. So uh, have a listen when the interview's over. All right, Travis Rice. Now, I've actually had Travis on the show before, back in November 2017. Remember those days when you could kind of meet people and go out? Well, at least in this country. Anyway, Travis was over promoting depth perception in London. Oh, it was great. We went out, got pissed, drank beers. God... Can't wait for them days to come back. Anyway, kind of hectic, that one, for a variety of reasons. The main one being that the hotel where we arranged to do the interview decided to charge me 300 quid to use a meeting room for the hour or so that we needed just before we went in the meeting room, which I had to pay for. But it kind of meant that the whole thing was a bit hectic and we were both a little bit like, wow, this is weird. So ever since then, I've wanted to get him back on the show at some point under slightly more relaxed circumstances. And the enormous success of Leg One of the Natural Selection Tour gave me just the excuse. Now, if you follow me on Instagram, I'm at We Look Sideways, or you are indeed a regular listener, you'll know that I've got skin in the natural selection game. That's because I was fortunate enough to be invited to be on the actual selection committee for the event with Travis himself event COO, Liam Griffin, Barrett Christie and Pat Bridges. And what a privilege that was. I mean, basically, we chose the riders for the Jackson leg, which was a total honour and something we obviously discussed in this conversation. Obviously, that word again, as part of that arrangement, I made Travis promise he'd come on the show to discuss the whole thing once Jackson was finished. And here we are. Good episode, this one. I found Travis in expansive reflective mood as well you might be when you've just pulled off the biggest event in snowboarding history really and obviously we had a lot to talk about and this is an exclusively natural selection conversation really where we dissected the event we discussed what it means for snowboarding we chatted about what we can expect in the future and why the entire thing in Travis's words has been 50 years in the making hugest of thanks to Travis for doing this and to my friends Liam, Laura and Brantley for their help with this episode. Cheers you absolute bunch of legends. I'll be back at the end with more of the usual. In the meantime, here's me and Travis. Debrief. Enjoy. Appreciate your patience. We uh, that's all right. That's all good. Uh, I uh, just dropped the lady off at the airport, and flights have been getting changed, delayed. A lot of weather here. It's been yeah, right. Quite a bit. Um, it took Liam, our uh, you know COO, who you know very well, uh, took yeah. him three, three days to get to Canada from here. Yeah, he messaged me earlier. He's like, I finally made it. Like it looked like he was like at the airport having to do like multiple covid tests every day and was yeah. was that just like was that just the weather and the general shit show of like transcontinental traveling right now you know i don't think actually well 
the COVID thing, you had to do tests, right? Because you have to come in with a recent test. But uh, it just, there was a heavy flow of precipitation and weather. And it was like, there's an Arctic high, one of those like just super cold high pressures that has sunk down that's like over Canada right now that has pushed all of the precipitation south. And so we've just been in the flow. I mean, we've gotten hell since the beginning of the event. I mean, probably gotten like seven feet, eight feet. Wow. <laughs> Maybe more, actually, but yeah. Yeah. And you've been, so you've been riding, you've been riding with like Elias and Austin, right? How's that been? Amazing. Um, it literally, we, yeah, I took those guys out to a fun kind of backyard spot. Um, yeah. With Lando, get Elias out on, uh, you know, some good old American snowmobiling, which he wasn't yeah, bad. Look- Man, he did, he, he held his own. Uh, yeah, for for us Euros, that's always like slightly stressful. <laughs> like, all yeah. oh, yeah. right, the sleds, okay. Yeah, I think it helped that he had a uh, brand new Polaris with like 15 miles on it. So he was like, right. oh, I remember how to do this. This is easy, you know. Yeah. And Zimmerman was on the like 10 year old sled. He's like, ah, oh, getting stuck. And how, so, how's it been for you since the event? Have you had some time to kind of decompress? Because obviously, you've been pretty fucking busy for the last however long really so how, how's it been because what what we like a week out now right since it was tuesday now so what, when was it wednesday was it a week i can't remember yeah yeah you, roughly tuesday yeah we ran the event tuesday so it's been a week um it's been i mean it's been pretty wall to wall because there was several days of breakdown like i was up on the course like shoveling things down getting them ready for us to open that up to the public yeah. and um, not to mention like a lot of positive, uh, a lot of positive feedback and, you know, we still have some deliverables and things we had to do. And on top of that, it's, uh, you know, we're in final preparation of our BC stop and the Alaska stop. And so we've been pretty flat out and finalizing a lot of components, um, for those two stops. Yeah. So how are you feeling about last week? I mean, I, I feel great, frankly. I mean, I feel really good about it. Uh, it's it's a interesting dynamic when you find yourself for like two years, three years, like telling people what you're going to do, pitching this idea, this grand vision, yeah. like, yeah, there's going to be this and this and this, and it's going to run, you know, and, and actually being able to deliver upon it. Um, it's an amazing feeling. I think everyone within our team, the production, like the way the live went, um, I think with the almost completely smooth behind the scenes running of the event, um, <laughs> in Jackson, it, uh, we're thrilled, man. Uh, you know, we, we, we aspire to do, you know, symbiotic projects where all of our partners and supporters, um, are equally excited about the success of something that we all built together. And that today yeah. is kind of the sweet spot. And I, I think we hit that. Yeah. I mean, it, when I was watching, the, I think I was watching the semifinal with Blake and it really, it really struck me like, like all good ideas, it seems really obvious in hindsight. Do you know what I mean? Like I was watching it and I was thinking like, of course, this is like the competition that we should have to showcase these riders and this type of riding, you know, like, and, and, and to show snowboarding in this particular way. Cause I remember when we did the first selection committee meeting, my first question to you was like, what do you want this to show about snowboarding? 
and you know you were you were a bit like well you know wait and see in in a lot of ways because because you know you obviously had the vision and you did you did sort of explain to me what you were aiming for but then went to see it unfold I was like yeah of course you know like it feels like it's been around forever almost even though it's do you, do you know what I mean like it and the reaction really felt like that as well like there's been a lot of talk as I'm sure obviously you've been at the heart of of like this is what we needed you know this is almost there's been a lot of talk about like reclaiming snowboarding do you know what I mean like has that has that surprised you the way that people have responded to it like that it's uh it's I think it's genuinely what we had hoped for and it's something too where you know I myself and our team like you know in a you know coming from like a, a place of humility and just you know we we can't take all the credit for this. Like we, you know, we did, we did a lot of hard work. We put in a ton of hard, you know, hard hours on forcing this thing through. But, you know, from my perspective, it's like, you know, this has been in the works for 50 years. Um, yeah. And to be in a place to help facilitate this and bring it forward, um, you know, knowing that a lot of the writers want to see this, a lot of the brands would like to see this. Um, you know, this is the side of snowboarding that is why there's so many people that consider themselves, you know, diehard or hardcore, um, because it's fantastic and, and fun. And I think being able to, you know, provide a venue, a, a location for this to live, like we're, 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 we're planting seeds, you know, we're just trying to incubate some sprouts here. And I think it's fantastic what what unfolded on Monday, but you know the, the work has only just began, and you know we're we're really looking to try to democratize this process a bit. And I think a lot of riders left uh, left you know pretty inspired and heard you know so much good feedback from from so many out there. And you know we've only arrived at the beginning is my take. I mean, this was an example of what, you know, what can happen, but man, the, 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 the format's built to be like changed and contorted. And, you know, this, every location around the world has its own unique variables, the, the terrain, the type of snow they get, um, even the type of riding that people aspire to in those locations. And so it feels like we're, uh, we're back at the beginning, you know, and this thing's meant to just be uh, a dessert in an already three course meal that is no current competitive riding. We don't want to supplement it. We just want to add to I it. I mean, as a, you, you said 50 years, right? You you just said at the start of that, you said like, this has been brewing for 50 years. So explain what you mean by that. Well, I mean, look, it's, you know, in the beginning, there was light. No, um, there was, <laughs> You know, the, the snowboarding has taken its own, like, you know, beautiful meandering path to where it is today. And a number of brands have influenced that path. A number of individuals have influenced that path. And a lot of what they did helped unwrap this next chapter. Um, you know, this was not just, you know, us completely like, thinking this thing up and bringing it forward, right? Like, you know, I took inspiration from 
from all the years making films, being a young, impressionable kid, like being a diehard consumer of all things snowboard media. Um, Arctic Challenge, like what Terrier was doing, like what the TTR yeah. was, was almost, what the TTR almost was. Um, yeah. You know, taking learnings from the good and the bad and this is just like where where it's where it's found its sweet spot um yeah so did you feel like it it was a conscious i'm going to use the phrase course correction because it because it feels like a you know feels like a good phrase because it because it's in you know it's intentional i think i think the extent of the intention that you've had course correction is a funny one because it feels almost you know it could feel quite egotistical it could feel a bit like hey i'm here to save the day you know what i mean like and put snowboarding on the right path and i i you know i know you a little bit i understand that it's not driven by ego it's driven by passion and, and love for snowboarding you know what i'm saying though like i guess my question is like how much of it was that conscious like we need to push it in this direction because you're a student of snowboarding. You're, you know, you're a scholar. Like you just, you just outline the history that that we're familiar with, and you know, TTR Arctic Challenge is a really great example. You know, that was that was another attempt at a course correction. Basically, that was another attempt of Fetterier and Henning and everybody to be like, actually, we want to shift this because snowboarding's always suffered from that, hasn't it? It's always had a culture, but it's always been susceptible to these shifts and outside influences so mm -hmm. yeah do you do you, it was it was a conscious thing then to kind of like nudge it let's let's say nudge rather than you know you know what i mean i love that yeah it's a great it's a great des descriptory uh action word nudge give it a nudge um, yeah yeah i think it was i mean that's all that's all it is it's like um you know it's funny i i had the the art and photography company assemble for quite some time. And I think one of our, like the tagline that we put in place was, you know, building a bridge between like appreciator and creator. And I think there's a similar, you know, attitude towards what we're, you know, what we're providing and bringing to light with this event is, you know, as badass as current, freestyle competitive snowboarding is and it's out of control like <laughs> i won't knock it for a second because it's it's incredibly impressive like you know jaw dropping but there is a bit of a disconnect between you know the weekend warrior or yeah you know the rider that gets you know 40 days in the season or even like the diehard that's resort rider um, between what they're after, what they're loving, what they're inspired by and what, um, is the only outlet for competitive snowboarding really right now. And I think that's kind of all we're trying to do is, um, you know, bring something that's really fun, uh, bring something that is much more relatable and yeah. You know, it's it, an important it, word, I think, when you're talking about communicating this. Yeah. And um, I, I think we're kind of, you know, we're, we're kind of resetting the clock a little bit. I mean, like I remember when I was um, whatever, 17, right? And I was watching the competitions 
uh, you know, Aaron style or X games for that matter. And like, you know, 900 was, was a big trick and people were winning contests with that. And it felt like achievable, attainable. Um, and you know, it's funny if we like rewind the clock back, you know, to park and pipe riding. Um, I, th I think we're just adding another element that, that we get to rewind the clock again. Um, you know, we get to start at this new place where like, where's progression going to go? Of course it's going to progress. That's like, you can't stop it. Evolution progression. You can't stop it. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I, yeah. But it, like, just sorry to interrupt you, but just 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 on on that point, that that was one of the, the great things about the event, though, wasn't it? Because you know, you're talking about progression. There's always been the contradiction at the heart of snowboarding progression. Progression, like the more the more out there it's got, the 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 more difficult it's been to relate to. At the end of the day, like if you're an ordinary snowboarder, because I mean, fuck, I watched the Lax Open. I honestly couldn't name a trick. I'm not even joking. You know, I was like, wow. Like, I don't know what they're doing, <laughs> but it's, it's very impressive. Whereas last week, probably my favorite tricks were Bodie's Miller flip off that little, you know, whatever it was and Mickle's switch, switch method, which, you know, were like two just obviously not easy tricks at all, but just, just, that was just beautiful snowboarding and mm -hmm. like improvisational snowboarding. And also technically, you know, hard, especially what Mickle did was, but it, what, you know, but it was, it, it brought it back to the essence, didn't it? Of like, actually what, what this thing is really, you know, which is like people reacting to what's in front of them in a spontaneous way and doing something beautiful, which, you know, which, which anybody can relate to. I think, you know, the other great thing about, I think the event was, what was obviously going on behind the scenes as well, like every day, like everybody out riding and, and you could see that like all over Instagram, obviously everybody filming each other, everybody sessioning, everybody that's obviously also snowboarding. And that, and that, and that's something that any snowboarder can recognize. And that was clearly like a huge part of the event. And that also came through off the back of the event. Do you know what I mean? So I think, that to me like that that story of snowboarding that it told in that way was obviously why it struck such a chord do you know do you know among ordinary people because you could just see people were like wow this mm -hmm. is this is what it's about you know what i mean like mm -hmm. yeah and there was obviously some incredibly technical snowboarding as well but the simple stuff was was brilliant wasn't it i mean you must have been stoked to see that oh every piece of it i mean there's such a handful of like memorable moments but uh, without a doubt, uh, Bodie's Miller flip was like so on point, beautiful, like the way, like finals day, the way even Ben Ferguson was just, you know, riding. Yeah, he was, he like, was brilliant. He was yeah, brilliant. It, it was a thing of beauty. And, um, you know, I, I think that the fun component of the, of like the drone angle, right? The follow angle yeah. that, um, was that it made it look like really fun and it made it look like approachable. And what's funny is, you know, we opened it up just for fun for an hour after the finals day and, you know, riders and <laughs> media went on course and actually like shot some stuff. And, you know, a few people without even like death lenses, like just a wider angle, you know, a few people shot like a couple of the, like of the gaps and whatnot. And then, 
it was like holy shit like this shit's legit like almost yeah. <laughs> you actually shot him properly and put him in a video part like really legit sized stuff that the drone like for all of its you know accolades and how cool it is to watch someone ride like it really makes things look a lot smaller than they are yeah 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 but yeah seeing some of that footage from uh you know even just in front front side threes of like i think mcmorris and rasman have posted and some legit features in there yeah and, and just you know like um ferguson's method on the first day just just mm-hmm. that shot which which did the rounds i mean even that was just like yep there you go uh, <laughs> that's what we all wanted to see basically the other yep. thing i was going to say about it as well is you know if i look at zoe what's what's great about that is i don't know how much you thought about this and i'd be interested in this because i you know again i was we were lucky enough to work together i was lucky enough to work with you on the selection committee I didn't really think about the aftermath for the riders, to be honest, when we did that, you know, because we were so focused on who was going to be in the event. I didn't even think about like what the implications would be for somebody like Zoe if she won. And I was thinking about this today. And what's amazing about that is like, that's, you know, it feels like the most obvious statement in the world, but that's actually now completely changed her career, hasn't it? Because, you know, previously before this event, Zoe's doing got one path essentially the point that she's at in a career you know she talks a lot about the olympics and how important it is to her. i'm sure that's not going to change but you know what i mean like suddenly she's now got a different path and and anyone else that comes through and that goes through this event at that stage in their career has got a different path and that's that's definitely a new thing because someone like zoe previously we all know what the the path used to be it used to be like well you paid you you do this you do that you maybe get to a point in your late 20s early 30s then you can do this and that that again is a really important thing for the culture i think like the way that that's gonna change progression ultimately because it's gonna put it's gonna make people think about how they want to snowboard in a different way and also give them a platform to do that which didn't really well it existed for a few people mm-hmm. but it's generally men and it was generally a particular type of rider and i think that i think the implications of that are huge really did you have that in mind or or has that taken you a bit by surprise as well um i think that i didn't think as much about it as you're going on about as well like i also like so much of the focus was just like just get people to the starting gate provide them with all of the assets and information research and homework to be able to, you know, understand the venue and ride it the best they can. But, you know, after getting them to the start gate, I didn't really, yeah, I didn't really think <laughs> you know, like you were like that. That's the work. Get them there. Get the, get the venue in great conditions, get the riders there well-informed and then, you know, and then let, let what happens happen. Um, but uh, I think you bring up a great point. I mean, you know, seeing this additional path that lays ahead now um, for Zoe and, you know, even more than that, the amount of positive feedback I've received from like, you know, both friends and complete strangers about like their daughters watching like the drama of the women's field unfold. I think that was probably the coolest story that went down. I mean, don't get me wrong. Ferg and McMorris like making it to the final was epic, but um, seeing Zoe like stomp the last run and 
highest score of the day. Yeah, it was, it was like was, it was you know, rad. goosebumps. Everyone was so psyched. And um I think that it just you know, this this motivation and inspiration of like what what might be possible for so many young women out there. Um that's I think one of the my favorite feedbacks I've gotten from this event. Yeah. Is, I mean, you just talked about the amount, the amount of work to get people to the start gate. So I <laughs> guess I'm interested in like, when do you, when did this actually start for you, this process? Like you, you I think you said two years earlier. Is this, because obviously the first two events were like, what, eight years ago? The fir- the very first iterations of, of this idea? Yeah. I mean, we did look, we did the Quicksilver Natural Selection in 2008 in Jackson. That was like the gist. All right. So longer. Yeah. That was the start. And it took two years of working on that event, bringing that thing to fruition. We did it. Um, feedback was incredible from all of the riders that participated. It, it probably helped that it also snowed 90 inches over the course of the week, even more snow than we got in the platform. Um, but, you know, the learnings from that event were like, okay, like we did a little bit of snow work um, and it was great, but but it was so apparent how limiting the venue is, you know, just like, you know, it, it, it's maybe a super basic analogy, but, you know, put a snowboarder on a flat groomer and like, okay, do something cool. Some people can do some shit, but you know, and uh, go back to like the eight foot, you know, hand cut and the 12 foot, 14 foot half pipes and how much progression, you know, came out of that same with building better jumps, et cetera. Like that's what helped foster, help foster the progression there. Um, and so the, the learnings from the event we did in 2008 was like, okay, like this is great, but you, you know, you're really limited by the natural terrain. And if you're going to have an event like this, you know, it has to be on par. It has to be comparable to what you see in film. Otherwise it's just coming up short, you know, to see someone's film part, um, someone spends all year, you know, you find a single feature on a mountain, shoot it, you know, you go a whole other, you know, a couple mountains over to find one other little feature like this. Like that's what you're comparing it to. And so that's what was apparent when like we set on the quest to find a supernatural venue. And that took five years and put the net out pretty wide all over the Northwest, all over Canada. And, um, I think it was maybe Gabe, Gabe Langlois, who I think, you know, recommended checking out this, this face in the bald face tenure. So went up to BC, met Jeff Pensiero, uh, really dynamic individual who's still on our team. And yeah, together we spent about two years in prep of the 2012 Red Bull Supernatural, which we did two years of. And that was like, all right, you know, we built a freaking venue like that was a mile long like riders runs were two minutes like it was it was out of control and some of the learnings from that was uh you know was i mean it was an epic um but like to land that run you know and back to the riders got two runs maybe there was a third run um but it was kind of hard to follow the competition follow everybody and then it was like a format where you know if someone someone had an epic run and and sat or fell for that matter um you know it really impacted the score and it wasn't really representative of you know how you actually ride falling is a part of high level riding like 
It just is. Yeah. And so, you know, with yeah, this, yeah. like, we wanted to really factor that in. And there was a few scenarios where someone like had a, you know, inconsequential fall and beat someone that had a clean run. Um, but it came down to like how tech the shit that they did land and the risk that they took and what was, you know, landed an incon- inconsequential fall, but whatever o- off topic. So we did two years at bald face. Um, and then I forget what, I think it was like Olympic year and, and we lost some support and we had to pull out last minute, um, from doing a third year. And, you know, frankly, rolling into the original Supernatural, by then it was like, hey, like, this would be an amazing tour. Like, this would be an amazing event with multiple stops. But the scale was, of course, like, a lot then. And we wanted to go shoot the fourth phase. And, um, you know, throughout the shooting of that, it really was like five years ago that, um, you know, I was kind of solicited frankly solicited to bring the event back to Jackson, the, the CMO at right. the time, um, you know, knew a bit about it and was like, Hey, like, you know, should, you know, should consider bringing that back. Like, you know, and I talked with him and I knew the challenges that would probably exist with bringing this thing to, a, you know, an inbounds open ski area. Um, but you know, they kind of persisted. And so, um, and so we started the process. We found an, you know, a, a new lift that was only built five, six years ago on the mountain accessed a new part of the mountain, piece of terrain that at the time was like the most rugged, like rough piece of terrain on the mountain. It's just sharp rocks, like tons of punji spike, dead trees, like bushes, you know, it just, it was really overgrown and pretty hazardous. And, uh, and, but there was a lot of variability and geological oddity to the venue. And it, it was the right elevation that faced the right aspect, you know, cause doing these events, it's a game of probabilities. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, three years ago, we built the first two features in the summer just to, uh, you know, show the national forest service, show the resort, you know, what we were thinking, how these things were going to weather a winter, how public was going to interface with them. And, and that, that kind of kicked off the recent iteration. So, and, and, you know, obviously the production was a huge part of this event as well. You know, you've already mentioned the, the, the drones and the way that you presented the snowboard and essentially, presumably from the beginning, this is something else that you had in mind or did that develop as well? Because, yeah, you're right. Like to, to do the type of riding justice in the competitive setting, almost all also required this this kind of like uplift of you know what we're used to didn't it you know in terms of production like it was obviously hugely ambitious and really difficult to pull off so was that in from the start did you also think well if we're going to do this you know we need to we need to look at the whole package really yeah i mean 100 percent. and i think um you know everything i've done in snowboarding has kind of educated me for the next the next step and with all the films um working with you know incredible filmmakers and you know having you know having the resources to you know play with experimental equipment and you know work on kind of cutting edge cinematography and post work it it just it became apparent that you know the looks right like the 
the different looks that we even implemented in different films, you know, passing through, you know, the, uh, the natural history, you know, showcase the beautiful locations. And that's, that's all to, you know, cutting edge slow motion technology added and, in the art of flight to, um, you know, going full psycho 4k, you know, big post-production stuff and fourth phase starting to use and implement more like POV and a few follows. Like that was the first film that, you know, I had a couple like psycho close follow, follow cams of like Eric Jackson up in Alaska. And and then it just, that's where it was headed. Um, you know, I remember doing in depth perception, we did a ton of that, like super follow close drone or uh, GoPro stuff. You know, that that first that first shot that 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 first shot through the forest. Yeah, who, I can't that. remember who who the follow is, but yeah. yeah, I mean that's that. I remember I remember seeing that and being like, yeah, that's 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 just a beautiful oh. shot, isn't it? Of snowboarding, you know, like it's it's a thing of beauty, hundred percent. And actually, that same shot literally was in like every one of our pitch decks for the last like four yeah, years. I mean that that. Uh, that that blew me away that shot because it was a new angle basically at the time wasn't it because that's uh, the challenging thing about this and the other reason why this has been so interesting and, and great to watch to be honest like you know we're used to angles aren't we you know we've like when you've been watching it and as immersed in it as we all have to see new angles on this is is really unusual and, and difficult to to pull off really you know in a way that that you can do it convincingly so that's kind of why why I'm interested in the in the process behind this because, yeah, it's one thing to be like, oh, look at these nice drone shots going through the trees, but I look at that and I'm like, fucking hell, you know, like to actually get that done takes a lot of, yeah, work, but also vision to to get there, you know. So well, it's interesting to hear you say like, you know, put it in this lineage of of the previous work. <laughs> well, that was it. I mean, that was you know, in a lot of people we pitched to. Like we didn't tell them that that was me following, you know, with a painter's pole, with a freaking gimbal set, <laughs> look like a drone, you know. And and frankly, you know, <laughs> we had to. I had to pitch that as in this is our this is our unique angle, like this is our signature. And we didn't have it developed. We we thought it was possible, but each year, you know, technology changes and reaching out and working with Gab who is, you know, world, world, uh, world-class, like, you know, podium drone racing league pilot, who's also, uh, a complete engineer. I mean, he builds these things. He solves incredibly complex, you know, challenges. Um, I mean, just as a funny side story, like literally he was hired to, um, design, come up with a like race drone whale snot catching device. (laughs) <laughs> on a research trip to like antarctica and they're following you know different types of whales and the only way to study the whale's health is to get an actual like mucus sample and so wow. they got these little trap door you know and he like designed this thing and you know waiting for you know and then when the whale comes up breaches and phew, blow holes flies no through sh- it no shit yep <laughs> hot sample check and uh and so with this piece too, I mean, it was, you know, several years of, of working alongside, wow. you know, not just Gab, but also the whole Uncle Toad's media group, um, who was, you know, helping us with, uh, problem solves and running the live cast with this. Yeah. 
And, um, and, you know, literally like Gab came down. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Because of COVID, um, uh, Gat's partner, because we had two, we had two, we had two guys who were flying. And so his partner's out of Seattle, uh, another you know, amazing drone sending. Like he came down and we did, uh, you know, test event in December, um, like a, like a tech test, you know, trying out a number of things and like, did the drone got broken on the, like the one prototype drone got broken. They like tried to rebuild it, but we couldn't get the live signal from it. Like the angle was wrong and, you know, gap had to go literally the month of January, he custom built six gimbals so that it could look down. Cause wow. I was, problem is like you can have a race drone but it's like a locked you know you have a locked camera angle and yeah. those guys have sure. to slow down like you lose the angle right um start and stop so whatever a lot of technical challenges but yeah yeah no but like it yeah sure but it's it it is interesting because i mean i just looked at it and and i just thought wow like you must be under a lot of stress <laughs> Because <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot could go wrong here, you know. Like we don't even talk about the weather, um, and obviously you had to deal with that as well. Like as as you know, the biggest variable if you're going to try and organize an event. But yeah, like you, you stack the deck essentially. You know, you had you had like the concept, the production, COVID, you know, whatever, boring. We don't we don't need to talk about that at this point. Um, the 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 challenges you're talking about it's it's a lot yeah the deck is stacked there isn't it do do you find that personally are you able to compartmentalize the 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 trepidation and stress that comes with that level of um that number of plates you've got spinning let's put it that way um yeah i'd say i'm pretty good at compartmentalizing um i mean look if, if doing this for so many years has taught me anything it's it's like the only thing that we can control is what we can control. And, you know, just being ready. I mean, that's like the kind of theme for trying to make these films too. It's like, as long as you have your shit together and you are completely prepared and ready and your team's ready too, um, then if the weather doesn't click for you, like you are not at fault. Like it is what it is. And, yeah. you know, in the game of probabilities, I think we set ourselves up as best we can, as best we could of with being able to, like we could have run that event in poor weather. Um, yeah. You know, the only thing that would have prevented us from running that event would be like if it rained at the top and froze, if it was truly bulletproof. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's a risk, you know, and, it's probably inevitable. It's going to happen. Um, so I think just being as prepared and ready as possible, you know, on one hand and on the other hand, in our communications, both internally with writers and frankly, publicly, you know, we have asked tens of thousands of people from around the world to envision prime conditions. And yeah. There is a level of manifestation that, you know, as uh, as unscientific as it might feel, uh, <laughs> definitely has influence. Yeah, uh, well, the snow dance, 
the sorry the Sundance on the on the finals day. That definitely seemed to do something. Yeah, Cleared those clouds. That that was the best thing ever. That 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 snow dance was was epic. So it's actually like there's a pretty good uh, there's a pretty good sun like sun dance that that Sweden has prepared and. I pulled him in pretty unexpectedly right on the camera to do that. And he just fucking went complete blank and ended up being, uh, I don't even know what was said, but it worked. He pulled it off. It worked. He did. He did pull it off for sure. Um, And the other thing I wanted to ask you about very quickly as well, while we're just talking about this, this, the backstory, if you like, is, is the judging. Cause, cause you know, clearly if you're going to, if you're going to like create this new snowboarding event, you need to look at how, how it's going to be judged. So could, could you talk me through that? Like did, I guess how you approached it. And also, um, I guess if you change anything now that the events run, cause obviously you can't really tell how the riders are going to respond to that situation. Um, and I, I was quite interested in that. Like if it, if, if there might, yeah. Like, you know, if, if that might evolve as well. I, I think it will. I mean, inevitably it will. Uh, you know, I think we had a great, great group of judges. We kind of, you know, frankly, we kind of reverted from some of like all of our past events had this like, you know, legendary like judging field, like just like the short list of people who have come and judged the events, like up in bald face or here in Jackson is like amazing. Um, Liam, who Liam Griffin is our kind of COO head of operations and, you know, he, uh, he definitely for this and the quick turnaround wanted to use legitimate professional judges. And we still had some, I mean, Chad Otterstrom was one of our judges. Um, but he needed like, you know, really, you know, proven judges who do this professionally. And uh, I think they did a really good job. I mean, they had to turn around scores 20, 30 seconds or something, which is really hard to do. Um, it's a complex run and, you know, the format, I think we kind of use that, um, it's called Dave. We use the Dave format. <laughs> um, and you know, it's all, it's, it's, it's overall impression, but it is broken down into some categories. And again, like I was saying, some of the, you know, the things that I think might be different from like a regular slope style event is in this type of riding, you know, there's no training. No one got to practice on this course, myself included. And with that, you're going to have people crash. You're going to have, you know, flat light, deep snow, wind drifts. Like there's just some things you can't, you can't factor in. And so, you know, inconsequential falls were definitely not um, counted as negative as, you know, there would be in any other type of contest. I liked that though. Cause like, like you say, it's just, everyone everyone that snowboards understands that that's mm-hmm. just especially in those kind of conditions it's just going to happen isn't it and and that was really refreshing as well because it and it took a while i think as a viewer to to get your head around that because because you know obviously on the comms they were like oh yeah well he's fallen but i don't think the judges are gonna particularly you know because you're so used to like oh he's fallen they've fallen that's that the run's done so it was, yeah, it was refreshing, I think, to, to see that approach. Mm-hmm. How, how did you, how was it your matchup with, uh, with Mark? <laughs> I mean, 
it was fun. Like that was a fun matchup without a doubt. Um, for finals day, you know, kicking the day off with, you know, a head to head against Mark, it's, you know, my, my goal was to beat him on the complexity of the run. Um, you know, look, it's obvious I do have a, um, uh, an added advantage seeing as how I designed the course. And so, you know, my goal was to, you know, take a more dynamic line, you know, if anything, like shout out to the build crew, because <laughs> we all hoping everything that we worked hard on got hit. And I just, I, you know, I had a couple bobbles and Mark put it down clean and, um, yeah, is what it is. You know, I, I think I put, you know, two runs together that had, I, you know, laced it, I would have had a good shot getting past him. But, um, so she goes. That's how it goes, man. It's yeah. always nice to do when you lose. So did you have... win. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, he did win. So yeah, I mean, which is another, another great story, isn't it as well? Like his, his kind of, you know, the arc of his riding in this whole sort of 13, whatever it is, year conversation now is also great, isn't it? I I think it's beautiful. I mean, him, you know, getting the X Games gold medal, like only qualifying spot onto the Supernatural year, um, coming up, you know, agreeing to come up, you know, knowing that he had a savage disadvantage um, not having a ton of experience free riding, you know, I think he probably was on the wrong equipment and, you know, he, he tomahawked like most of that run and, you know, came out with a giant smile and didn't let his like ego get in the way of him, you know, like having an amazing life experience of like going up and just failing. Um, and, I think that, you know, I've got, I've got so much, um, earned respect for Anna, Anna Gasser coming out, like in a similar position, um, you know, easily one of the best snowboarders on the planet, you know, jumpers, like she's doing tricks that no women have done before. Um, and seeing her be like, yeah, I'll come and give it a try. I'm definitely uncomfortable, but to see someone like that, who's at the top, um, you know, have like a level of humility to come open herself up for criticism and falling and come and just give it her best shot. And she was like, she was such a great attitude, like through the whole event. Um, and I didn't really know her before. Um, but I mean, that was definitely one of my favorite, you know, kind of takeaway storylines is literally just how, how psyched she was uh, just being up there. Like we had a bunch of really good just resort riding days. And, you know, I think, uh, I think I, you know, witnessed this kind of like little fire that I felt was lit underneath it was like, all right, like I, you know, cause she's definitely better than what, you know, what we saw in her contest run. She's got hung up probably, maybe not the greatest line choice. It was already pretty beat up where she was trying to put down her line. So that's, that's one I'm really excited to see unfold into the future. Well, it's like we were saying earlier, it's, it's, it's now, it's a new, it's just a new vista for people. This isn't it? it especially somebody in like Anna's position as well. It's like, yeah, 
now now she's got this other avenue like to explore which is it's going to be really really fascinating isn't it to see to see where these riders take it you know who might not have naturally gone down this path really yeah i mean you know someone like her it's like yeah okay like take go, go take a year go go dominate the next olympics like do what you need to do like you know um follow your pursuits and life goals and then you know you know that this thing is happening and yeah i mean even like having like sean white rolls in he showed up for the week just came just to check it out and um my lady brooke was watching the first day qualies uh with him just whatever in the lobby down at the hotel and um you know him telling her straight up just like damn it like i wish i was in this contest this looks like so fun and um i mean how cool would it be to have sean come back and compete on this tour it'd be amazing i think uh i think everyone would want to see that yeah too right yeah i mean exactly that'd be it'd be a turn up it'd be brilliant yeah so did you did you have like a favorite I don't even just mean in the contest, like, uh, can you, can you look back and does something stand out from the week for you? (laughs) The riding was incredible. Um, You know, a couple like within the window, including the day after the contest ended, you know, two of the best resort days of the year. Um, You know, we just, we, we got hammered. And I think just seeing people, you know, walk in from a day of riding, just like, oh my God, <laughs> like the best resort day of my life. Um, that is always like really great to see um, and hear and just, yeah, I don't know. I think um, watching uh, watching Ben Ferg open up a magnum of champagne there at the, uh, at the very end, the last day, late night was, uh, was amazing. Um, that was a highlight for me. Yeah. Well, you, I, I dare say you'd earned it by that point. Um, given, given the, uh, the, the amount of, yeah. Was that a good, was that a good point where you could turn off like towards the end? It was like, ah, it's done. You know, like I can kind of sort of yeah. take it all in at this point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, until after the, uh, awards on the last day, last night, um, which I don't know. I don't think the awards were necessarily, I don't know how many people saw them, but um, it was great. The Shrub brothers showed up. Yeah. They- up. It was a pretty solid effort. Um, I think, uh, I think Geeky was awarded uh, biggest beans by the Shrub brothers. which was pretty funny. Cause you know, I don't know if any, if anyone caught the bean, the bean skit that we did to kind of hype the event. We had an $80 budget for that piece. Took a couple of <laughs> shoot and we, uh, bought a pallet of uh pinto beans you know five gallon cans and we ended up uh having four left over so we uh the shrub brothers decided to make some trophies and yeah i think uh um no sorry gigi got biggest beans for his front seven on like the opening day yeah Uh, i think uh mickle got spilled the beans for his uh for his rock impact I think Elena had a couple solid, solid falls too, where she just got hammered. Um, but Mikkel actually 
slightly sprained his ankle. So technically he had the roughest crash. And then, then I think the golden buckskin award, uh, for some funny slogan, I can't even remember, but I think Hannah Beeman got it for her, her winning run on the, on the qualifying day. Um, and then I think Ben Ferg got it for just his overall domination of the week. Red brother Pat had a great run on the first day as well, didn't he? Yeah. That, he, that, that was one of my favorite moments, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was epic. Because that was when you could see everybody really getting to grips with it as well. And that was when I was like, all oh, right, they're, they're getting it dialed, you know, to see that. Yeah, that was rad. Um, well, so tell me about Canada and Alaska. So what can we expect? Because like you say, they're coming up quick, right? Oh, yeah. Um, you can expect fireworks. You can expect fireworks. Um, so, you know, where's, uh, when are we releasing this thing anyways? This podcast? Yeah. Uh, this is going to go out on Friday. Okay, cool. Um, I only ask because there's some, some details, fun details that, um, you're going to have to circle back with us to find out. Um, got it. What I can tell you is that embargoed. No, no, I'll just I'll do my best to walk that fine line. Um, I mean, look, bottom line, you know, we've known since the summer that BC was going to be a tricky one to pull off, and we've been anticipating the regulations continuing to stay the same, um, and so we waited until February 5th, which was in the middle of our window for the, for the last like next month's, um, you know, attention, um, the, the regulations, which to sum them up is basically, you know, international riders, American riders can't come in and, you know, we can't do the event like we had planned to. And so, you know, for months we we've been anticipating this and we have a really epic plan B um, I'm actually, I think, almost more excited for our plan B than our plan A. And so we are going to do a Canadian-only field, which is, I mean, epic. It's, you know, the best in Canada. Um, we will have or are about to uh, release that rider list of who's confirmed for that. Um, probably right around when this thing's coming out. And um, it is going to be it's going to be an epic, like the way that we have set this next event up and the area that riders have access to, to go out and, um, basically, you know, ideate and create, uh, you know, these lines that they're going to have some time to put together, um, and shoot and they'll be together. Um, but, I think it's going to be incredibly dynamic and it's going to, this is going to be, um, you know, an event that really, I think shows in parallel what we just did in Jackson, but also shows a little bit more of like the know-how of what it takes to, you know, film part in the backcountry. I mean, there's strategy and it's going to come down to, again, like those with the most experience and the ones that are willing to take risks. And so basically four or uh, the top three men, top three podium men from Jackson go on to Alaska for the super final. 
top top woman from Jackson goes on to the super final. And then from Canada, the top male, top female from this event are going to go on to the super final in Alaska. So, and, and as far as Alaska, wow. you know, that's, we're really excited for that. I mean, it's, I think the best venue on the planet in all of my lookings and conversings with, you know, many other people who have seen a lot of faces around the world and especially in Alaska. Um, I think a venue out with the Tordrilla Mountain Lodge um, is, is nuts. I mean, it's a, it's a venue that, that would support, you know, the same size field that we have, but due to a lot of, a lot of things, uh, especially COVID us having to limit our numbers this year. Um, this is kind of our pivot, but I think it also, you know, there's also some opportunities that come out of it. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Of course, <laughs> it's going to be rad. It's going to be rad seeing how it unfolds really. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, which is my next question. Like, you know, you're a man with uh, who thinks big on these things. So, what what's the ambition for this, for this whole project? You know, you've 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 said a couple of things tonight where, um, you know, you've been like, well, you know, it's going to evolve, and I can't wait to see how it evolves. And clearly, you know, one of the themes that we've been discussing is you can plan so much, and then and then events are going to take their own path. But given the calculation and the and also the you know the years of experience that you've thrown at this it's your life's work in a lot of ways isn't it like it's the culmination of everything that you've learned in in your snowboarding life what's your what's your hope for it well i think there's there's many ways i could answer this i mean i think like you know there's a selfish component of it where it's like i wish this type of thing existed and it doesn't and so all right, like I'm going to give a stab at, at creating this thing. Um, you know, there's also, you know, there's a selfless component of it too, where like I, I have a lot of gratitude for, for snowboarding. Um, it's let me see the world. It's, it's helped, you know, fulfill a number of, of my dreams. And, um, and there was a lot of people that worked really hard to, you know, pay the path for me to, you know, have a job doing what I'm passionate about. And so like in relationships, you know, if, if you can leave anything better than when you found it, that should be a goal, you know, no matter personal relationship, friends, family, parents, like leave it better than you found it. Same with going out into nature, kind of the same deal. And you know, for me, it's like, you know, I've, I've had a great, I've had a great run and this seems to be something that a lot of people are excited about. And, you know, if I can, if I can throw some of my time, effort and teens passion towards trying to unlock this new level, like, hell yeah, let's give it a good, honest try. There's a lot of opportunity to failure, but at least we tried. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, not just even us in snowboarding, like, you know, in Alpine winter sports, I mean, I think everyone wants to see this and I think it's beautiful what, you know, what is happening in competitive snowboarding and the freestyle side of it. I think it's honorable and I think it's beautiful what 
you know, the free ride world tour has continued to try to do and evolve. Um, and so, yeah, that's, we're going to put our spin on it and try to raise some awareness and support and see if we can't make this the, you know, premier league within our space. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's, I mean, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be brilliant. It's going to be great to see. I'm really looking forward to seeing like how it, like once this runs with an Olympic year, that's going to be interesting as well, just to see the repercussions of that. Cause I think yeah. that's, you know, that we don't need to talk, we don't need to have that whole conversation, but you know, we all, we all know like what, what that, what that represents in our culture. And, you know, it comes back to that almost like course correction idea, doesn't it earlier? So I think it's going to be, I, I'm just looking forward to seeing where we are in like five years, you know, like when, 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 the riders like Zoe and Anna, who we've discussed, kids coming through that we don't even know about, who are looking at this and are like, that's what I want to do. That's snowboarding for me. You know, hugely sort of important quote from the whole event was Sage, you know, saying like, well, I'd rather win this than another Olympic gold medal. I mean, that was a fairly weighty statement, <laughs> really, wasn't it, you know? obviously he meant it and obviously that's that's the sort of already the credibility the event's got in in snowboarding which is which is great isn't it you know so it's going to be really interesting to see how that you know the changes it makes to the culture really which by the sounds of it has kind of been the whole point for you uh without a doubt man um without a doubt and i mean like this event too that you know we're trying to like spark it and be able to bring people on board and, and hand off some of it as well. I mean, just like the, you know, our process, right. Like of trying to do the best job we can in selecting the individuals to be invited to this, like, you know, this event should be an earned qualification invites. Sure. But on like a minimal, um, you know, wild card component basis, like, you know, the best, best thing that could happen was that this event is, you know, something that people qualify for. So it's open. So it's open to everyone. It's not an elitist invite only type of scenario, but you got to start somewhere and yeah, know, we'll be working towards that. And again, like without, without the riders coming to show up for this event without them, like backing it as well. I mean, you know, what is this? It's, it's, uh, you know, it's a flash in the pan. Um, so I think like anything, you know, for us, it's, I'm sure it's going to be two steps forward, one step back. Um, but we're, we're persistent fuckers. I'll tell you that much. And, uh, <laughs> and we're going to do our best to, to, to keep things moving in the right direction. Yeah. And you're going to be a dad. Going to be a dad. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty oh, yeah. soon. Right around the corner. Like six weeks out, man. My uh yeah, my lady Brooke, she's she's a champ. Just ruling it. She's been in, in behind the scenes just helping the organization and she's pulling strings in a number of kind of departments behind the scenes because you know, we we're a startup. Like don't don't let the facade fool you. Like <laughs> we are a startup. There's everyone's wearing too many hats and we're 
we're doing the best we can, but um, you gotta start somewhere. Yeah. Well, well done, man. It was great. And uh, yeah, I hope you had had some time to enjoy it. And thanks again for getting me involved in some minor way. It was a privilege and uh, one of the most enjoyable slash head-wrecking jobs I've had for a while. So, uh... (laughs) I mean, thank you. Uh, I I appreciate your take and even trying to weasel out of it once or twice. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, it's kind of the same thing that, you know, when Liam or someone on our team or, you know, I get the opportunity to call someone like with an invite, you know, and they say, oh, thank you so much. And th- but it, that's not it. It's like, hey, it's your own damn fault. Like you have done this. Like, don't give anyone else any credit. Like it's an honor to be able to, you know, have a moment to appreciate what you have worked so hard on. Yeah, you call yeah. my bluff, all right. <laughs> So there you go. That was me and Travis Rice and I hope you enjoyed it. Huge thanks to Travis for taking the time to carve out some space for that one. And like I said to Liam Brantley and Laura for their help setting it up. Made me laugh when he said, well, I'd not really thought about it like that until I heard you harping on about it in this way or whatever it was. But that's one of the things I found so fascinating about this event. No, not the platform it gives you for a good old harp, but the way It's going to take snowboarding in new and interesting and unforeseen directions as it evolves. I love that, you know. Obviously, you can set up an event like this, like Travis has done, as we've just heard. But once you put it out into the world, like all great ideas, it can just evolve in new and unexpected ways. And I really like the fact that he'd not even really thought about that kind of take on it that I was propounding. Um, So, yeah, interesting stuff. Should also explain that little exchange we had at the end. So as I mentioned at the beginning, Travis and Liam asked me to sit on the selection committee with them. I actually turned it down originally. And that's what he meant, Travis, when he said that I tried to weasel my way out of it. Now, to be totally honest, I mean, that is true. I did, Like I say, I turned it down. I was pretty daunted by the prospect, to tell you the truth. And I had a bit of imposter syndrome about the whole thing. You know, I was a bit like, what, me, really? Surely there's somebody more qualified than me to do it. Um, So I got back to him and I even gave him a couple of other names because they wanted a European person to be on the the panel, essentially, to give it a bit of balance so it wasn't like completely US-centric. So I actually got back and said, look, you know, there's a couple of other people I think are probably better qualified than me. So I'm going to politely decline this um, opportunity. To which apparently Travis replied, well, yeah, that's why he should do it. And in the end, they basically ignored me and just sent me a Zoom link and said, uh, see you there. And obviously, in the end, I'm very glad that I did take the opportunity. And like I said to Travis, I'm just honoured that I had a tiny part in the whole thing. And he was, of course, completely correct in what he was saying about getting better at accepting the fact that you've earned the right to be there. Obviously, I need to work on that a little bit. Anyway, make sure you check out the next two rounds from BC and Alaska over at Red Bull TV. Follow Natural Selection over on Instagram for the latest. All right, housekeeping corner time. It's been a while. I've had a little, I've not had some time off because I had a couple of episodes, you know, in the keep net, if you like. But it does feel like a little bit of a while since I've recorded a housekeeping corner segment. And I think, you know, this is going to definitely sort the diehards from the newcomers who are just listening because, well, it's it's Travis Rice. If you've already turned off, well, good riddance. 
And if you're still listening, then congratulations for being a true Looking Sideways local, if you will. And please join me in a rousing rendition of Thank Fuck They've Gone. Now, I understand that slagging people who've turned off isn't the most orthodox marketing approach in the podcast world, but that's the beauty of it. And in my tiny mind, it's quite funny. So there we go. Anyway, if you're actually a regular listener, you'll have probably clicked the fact that I've not been putting out my regular episodes every week. And that's because, drum roll, I've been finishing the very first Looking Sideways book. Yet, the thing is nearly fucking finished. Pretty amazing experience, actually, having an absolutely enormous to-do list that feels like it's never going to end. And then suddenly you're like, oh, it's nearly done. Shit. And that's where we are. So myself and Owen Toza, my co-author, are going through the final edits and proofs right now and getting ready to send the thing to print. Now, to recap, the first look in Sideways book came off the back of the three-week-long road trip around California myself and Owen did back in 2019. Again, back in the days when you could do things like that. Now, we wanted to head over to California to speak to the people who basically sum up that state's defining and diverse contribution to our little culture. So, you know, we chatted to traditionally venerated alpha males like Herbie Fletcher on the one hand, and then we chatted to trailblazers such as Corey Schumacher on the other. I think we did about 18 podcasts in, in two and a half weeks, which is obviously quite hectic. You know, we went up and down the Pacific Coast Highway, we started in Ventura and we ended up in San Diego. We went to Blacks, Malibu, Huntington Beach. We met the Fletchers, Jamie Thomas, Taylor Knox, Cara Beth Burnside, a lot more. We put together a series of interviews and portraits that at the time marked a high point for the podcast and for my creative partnership with Owen Toza. And when we got home, we put the podcast out as usual. But the more we thought about it, the more we were like, well, hang on. We've got a lot of stuff here, really. And uh, be ashamed to let this just languish on Owen's hard drives for the rest of eternity. So we decided to make a book. And, you know, the idea was always that we'd make a book that would showcase Owen's incredible photography, first and foremost. Um, Also the wisdom imparted by my guests during their interviews on that trip and the legacy of Californian board sports culture as a whole. And also, and this was a theme that developed when I was doing the book, as a bit of an outsider, because, you know, this this culture's shaped my life, but I'm, as you can probably tell, I'm very definitely not from California. And it was really interesting kind of realising, even when you've dedicated 30 years of your life to it, you, you're still a bit of an outsider if you're not from there. And yeah, so that, that that's a bit of a, you know, summation of what the book began as. And then as the scope of the project grew... We decided to rope in some of the friends we've made while working on the podcast for the last four years. So we asked a lot of old guests to be contributors. So I asked Keith Malloy, Lauren Hill, Jeff Johnson, Chaz Smith, Jamie Brissett, Rob Machado, Craig Peterson, Ben Powell, Demi Taylor, Ben Mundy, Annie Fast, Jen Shirowski. All right, Jen's not yet been on the podcast, but she will be at some point. And Ed Lee. That is Ben Powell, come to think of it, but he's also somebody I'm really trying to get on. And they've all contributed articles to the book. So it's looking great. It's coming in, it's nearly 300 pages. It's quite a big piece of work. And we've been very, very fortunate to work with Vero, a social network on this project, which is ad and algorithm free. 
Varo have been our title sponsors and have basically enabled us to get on with this. They just left us alone to get on with this project, to be honest. They basically said, yeah, all right, we'll sponsor it. Just let us know when it's finished, which I'm incredibly grateful to the team at Varo for this because it's pretty rare, as I think I've said before. Regular listeners are going to know I'm really, really choosy about who I work with when it comes to sponsors. And I'm still really proud of the fact that the podcast is ad-free, despite the fact that this archaic and strange little principle has definitely cost me a shitload of money over the years. In return for their support, I've agreed with Vero to sell the book exclusively through their platform for the first month. So you're going to have to sign up to Vero to buy it initially. But it's free, and that takes about 30 seconds. And, you know, I feel that's a fair trade considering the generosity and freedom they've brought to this entire project. And I do, th- I really like Win slash Patagonia's take on the sponsorship thing. If you follow Patty slash Win on Instagram, he's quite forthright about the fact that, you know, these sponsors enable these platforms. And if you're happy with the relationship that you forge with them, they're worth supporting, if, especially if you can do it on your own terms. And that's exactly how I feel about this kind of little collaboration with Vero because like I said they did just let me get on with it which we did they've asked for you know they've had a look at it but they're just like yeah nice one we trust you you know what you're doing can't really tell you how rare that is in the world of marketing and sponsored content not that this is really sponsored content so yeah the book very proud of it it's looking great and I really hope you'll consider supporting it I get a lot of messages from people kind of bigging up the podcast which is great and also saying well how can we support it because obviously you haven't got any ads and you know it's clearly a lot of work something like supporting this project would be it would be a great place to do it especially because we had no fucking clue how many copies to print so to be honest we put to figure out a thin air now you know whether we end up signing all them or not i guess we'll wait and see but i'm pretty confident that if you like the show you're going to enjoy the book so yeah Buy the book is the message from me. Once we go to print, I'll be opening up things for pre-order over at Vero. But in the meantime, you can find my account. I think I'm just on there as like Looking Sideways Podcast. Follow me. And then you'll be at the link to buy the book will go up on there. I will, of course, be doing some promo around this whole thing. Hopefully not too much promo because, you know, no one likes being oversold. But that'll probably primarily take place through my Vero account and my Instagram account at We Look Sideways and through future episodes. I mean, we're even talking about doing a little film to promote the thing. I've been pretty behind on the whole film thing. You know, every other podcast in the world basically is doing filmed episodes now. I I mean, we'll see if that's going to be a thing in the future, really. You know, it's up there with the event I've been planning. Nice idea. But then the book started like that. The book was also a nice idea. And here we are. It's done. It's nearly out. So let's see. eh? Anyway, that's enough for this week. Lengthy old housekeeping corner. Big thanks for checking out this episode. If you're new listener and you're still here, congratulations. You made it. I'll be back soon with episode 149. Wow, which means episode 150 is nearly upon us. Four years after I started this thing. Crikey. All right. Nice one.